Hey, welcome to the Real Life Youth Podcast. I'm so glad that you could join us. What you're going to expect is real issues that matter to today's youth. We're going to tackle topics like faith, relationships, purpose, and everything in between. I hope this message blesses you. I'm going to be honest. I think I pulled a muscle trying to get that diaper or depends up, whatever it is. I'm too old for that. You guys, you can see I have no hair, so it's, uh, I'm old. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys having fun so far, you said? Thank you. I appreciate that. So my name is Tate Stevens. I am the family minister. Hi, Sadie. How you doing? Every year she sh- says my name. So, all right, cool. <laughs> so my name is Tate Stevens. I'm the family ministry pastor here at Life Church. And you might think, why do I got my uh, social media handles up there? It's not just to do a shameless plug. I do a lot through social media. I'll be honest with you. I minister a lot through TikTok. I minister a lot through Instagram. Uh, I did a series called uh, Christian Anger. And I scream in the car a lot or I say something really dumb. But here's the thing you got to be careful of social media, guys. So those videos that I did, uh, humbly saying, went viral. And a guy came up to me in the gym the other day. And he goes, I was like, oh, did I do something wrong? He goes, you're the angry Christian. I was like, hold up. That is not the message that I was trying to convey. <laughs> so you got to be careful sometimes with what you put on there. I hope that makes sense. Um, man, I am so blessed to be here. I just... I absolutely just love these type of summits, these types of gatherings, uh, just being able to hang out with my friends, man. Like, I really want you tonight to be able to just really just open your heart. Just if you came here and just like, man, I didn't really want to come here today. I'm a little bit down or I'm a little bit tired. This might sound silly, but just sit in that. When you sit in that seat, just say, God, just fill my heart with joy tonight. God softened my heart. That was a good burp. Thank you. She, that was, I don't know if anybody else heard that, but that was loud. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to show you a picture of my family. I have definitely married up. That is my wife, Kristen. I got my son. Yeah, they're awesome. I got my son, Noah, who is a drummer. At three years old, this kid's already doing beats. He's being consistent. He's having fun with it. Um, He's kind of a terror. He does a lot of like crazy things in the house. And sometimes you got to watch your back with him, but he's great. Uh, My son, Liam. He's not seven years old. He's kind of just chill, just kind of likes to have fun. He likes to play Zelda. And my daughter, Emma, she is nine years old. She's amazing, and she is crazy. She is a pastor in the making. So I am not from Utah, actually. I am from a place called, have you guys heard of Fargo, North Dakota? Well, Ella's from Fargo. So I'm from a place called Fargo, North Dakota. But that's actually not where I'm from. I lived there for the last 13 years, and I grew up in a town called Aberdeen, South Dakota. Aberdeen, hey, one yay. So Aberdeen, South Dakota. So when I grew up, I grew up in a small town. Um, It was like half a Christian household, half not a Christian household. So my dad did not believe in God. He believed in a higher power. I had a mom who, she kind of had a relationship with God. She was just like, you know, like, you know, I follow you. I read the word, but she didn't really have a relationship. And so I kind of grew up in a divided home in that way. Uh, great parents, though. Absolutely love my parents. Here was my Sunday church. So my mom, she'd get ready for church. And then we got to a certain age that she was like, you can do whatever you want for church. Like, I'm going to make it your choice. So I copied my dad and we'd go, we're going to church. And then we'd flip on the TV to Minnesota Vikings football. And as we know, like, you guys go to church. If you get the opportunity to go to church, the Vikings never won a Super Bowl, whatever. They suck. So anyways, there was a moment in my life, though, that as I started to get older, I started to reflect. 
I started to say, you know, what am I doing in my life? Where am I heading? Mind you, I started to follow the path of not believing in God. I started following that path where I just started questioning everything. I didn't read my Bible. Um, I didn't pray. And I just, I doubted a lot of things. I really did. I doubted a lot of things. And the path that I was leading was a path to basically chaos and destruction. And there became a moment where I'm like, I can't live this way anymore. I can't follow this path because I'm going to destroy my life. I don't want to live in this sin. I didn't know it was sin at the point, but I'm like, I don't want to live in this sin. Keep in mind at this point, I didn't really believe in God, but I did. I cried out and I said, God, if you are real, please help me. Please tell me what to do. And I wish it was a Cinderella story I could tell you. I didn't think anything about it after that. I'm just being real. I didn't think anything about faith after I cried that out. Because you were probably expecting me to say, oh, and God came down and he radically changed my life and I was a believer and I started falling right after that. No, I didn't. <laughs> Went the opposite direction again. And so honestly, I didn't take that time to pursue it. Fast forward a little bit more. I met my wife in high school, actually. So we're 35 years old, been married for, um, I don't know why I do this to myself, uh, 13 years this year, 13 years this year. And so we met in high school. I hope I was right. So we've been married for 13 years. Shh, don't tell her. She's not in here, I don't think. Um, so we've been married for 13 years, but I met my wife in high school. And uh, when we graduated, we moved up to a town called Fargo, North Dakota, and we got married. So we, we moved up to a town called Fargo, North Dakota, and I started feeling like this loneliness in my life. And you'd think that's a little bit backwards because I was married. I had a wife. I had somebody to go home to talk to. And I started feeling like this loneliness, this emptiness, this feeling of just unworthiness. And I'm just like, I remember crying out in my basement in the, on my couch that night, God, if you are real, you know, basically prove it to me. And then I didn't think anything of it. But then all of a sudden this feeling started coming up again. And I, I just remember I wrestled with that because I'm like, I'm married. I have amazing awesome wife. Why do I feel like I don't have anything? And I was really just beating myself up over it. And then I remember my mom's like, hey, because so history, my parents uh, moved up to Fargo, North Dakota as well. That's actually why we moved up there. And my mom says, hey, I'm going to start going to church. I got a church I want to invite you to. And I was like, cool, I'll show up. Never showed up. And my mom's like, okay, you should come this week. Let's go to church. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll be there. Wouldn't show up. Finally, my mom was like, you keep saying you're going to come to church and you don't come to church. So I was like, all right, mom. Go, and I love my parents. So I was like, all right, mom, I'll go to church. And I remember I went to church and I walked in. Oh man, you're going to see a bald man cry. Um, now I'm going to cry. I walk in in that feeling of like loneliness in my heart. That feeling of like a piece of my heart was missing started to go away. And I was a little bit scared, to be honest with you. Because I have never felt this feeling in my life. And I walk in and another balded brother walks up to me. I actually had hair at the time. He walks up to me and he starts talking to me. And I'm like, okay, cool. I was just like, this guy's cool. He's not like the nerdy. I always thought pastors were super nerdy. I don't know, maybe you think I'm nerdy. But I always thought pastors were like pushing up their glasses. And it's like, you know, like Steve Urkel. No, I'm not going to go there. But I, I did. That's what, I, that's what my mind went to as pastors. I was like, this guy's really cool. Surprise, I didn't show up again for another four weeks. You see, it's not a typical story where I'm trying to be like, oh yeah, I came in, my life is radically saved. I remember I showed up four weeks later. Actually, I lied to you. I'm sorry, forgive me. It was five weeks later. 
Not big difference. I could have just kept it at four, right? It was okay. So five weeks later, I show back up and he walks in and he goes, hey, Tate. And I'm like, okay, I had a feeling of loneliness. And this guy remembered my name. He's like, hey, Tate, I haven't seen you in a bit. How you doing? And that radically, no, that changed my life. He passed away last year and he was a huge mentor in my life. He was a huge mentor in my life. You see, the enemy was trying to play tricks on me, not trying to get me back. And it took that one step of faith to step forward and say, you know what? I'm going to give it another chance. Fast forward another six months as I started to become kind of consistent. And there's a reason why I'm giving you a long opening. We went to this play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. You remember that first? Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And we're sitting up in the balcony. This church is a church I eventually became a youth pastor at. Um, but I'm sitting way up in the balcony. And I just remember thinking like, I'm, not, I'm just going to hide. I don't want to be seen. And this production is going on. And I remember start to thinking, they, they, they kind of have like this, the devil come out. They had the devil come out. And I say it's kind of funny because he scared Jesus into me because it freaked me out so bad to the fact that there was this scene of this girl being uh, drunk and she died in a car crash on the way home. And it wasn't because I didn't want to go to hell. That's not why I gave my life to Christ. What made me think is what life am I living that is the minute I can walk out those doors, my life could be ended just like that. Where would I go? And I remember they did an altar call. And as they did the altar call, my wife and I both went down and gave our life to Jesus that day. And when we gave our life to Jesus, he says, hey, you're going to be in ministry. I'm like, no, I'm not. Well, now you can see him up here. But why do I? <laughs> Thank you, guys. You guys are too kind. But why do I tell you this? Because some of you in here tonight, FYI, I'm probably going to spill this, but it's cool. If you hear some slashing, it's okay. Because I was in your shoes once. Some of you that are in here tonight are only here because maybe some of your friends invited you. And I'm glad you're here. Or maybe some of you have been going to youth group for a while. Or maybe some of you have been a part of the church for a while. And you're just kind of like, you know what? I'm just kind of showing up. I'm just going through the motions. I was in your shoes once. I was walking in those same shoes where I had so much doubt. That feeling of loneliness that feeling of like, man, I don't have purpose on this earth. Nobody would notice if I was gone. You know, as we get into this message, I just want to encourage, if that is you tonight, if that is you tonight where you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't know about this whole Christianity, or maybe you're saying, hey, I've backslidden. I want you to just receive the message tonight, not saying, hey, receive it and give your life to Jesus. I just want you to be open. Is that, is that, is that okay? Is that cool? Can we do better now? Is that okay? All right, cool. So I'm going to read you some scripture before we get into the title of the message. How many of you brought your Bible with you? All right, turn to your neighbor and say Acts. Acts. 16. All right, I'm going to go verse 6. Uh, yes, yeah, verse 16. And we're talking about Paul and Silas here. It says, One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. 
This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the, uh, to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And instantly it left her. Man, I look at that. I'm like, Paul was a G for that. He didn't let her just let her walk around. He's just like, turn around. He's like, I command you get out of this woman. I was, I, I don't know if I would have had a guts to do that. But there's something crucial when we look at this here. When Paul and Silas commanded this demon to come out of her, the people that owned this girl just lost their livelihood. They just lost the monthly income that they were getting from this girl. They lost every dime that they were making because the demon came out of her. So can you imagine, would you be mad if one person said, in the name of Jesus, I command this demon to get out, and then you just lost all your money? Or maybe somebody just walked up to you and said, in the name of Jesus, you no longer make money. That would be irritating, right? I hope no, I pray against that, that no, that happens to nobody. But they completely lose their income, so they get mad. They get ticked. So they take Paul and Silas to the authorities. And as they take Paul and Silas to the authorities, they had them beaten and thrown into prison. And they said to this jailer, hey, I need you to monitor these guys so they don't escape. There's a reason why I'm telling you this. Around midnight, you get Paul and Silas who are praying and singing singing hymns to God. And suddenly a massive earthquake hits this place. The windows fly open. The chains are broken off of every prisoner. The chains are broken off of every single prisoner. What could they have done? They could have ran, right? They could have ran out of that jail. The jailer wakes up and he assumes that every prisoner has escaped. And in that time, he would have been sentenced to death as jailer for failing to do his job. When you look at Roman history or or theology, you take a look at that and he would have been killed. So he's like, I'm just going to do the job myself. And it's kind of crazy because Paul and Silas say, hey, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. We're still here. They could have ran, but he said, we are still here. And we go to verses 30 through 31. Check this out what he says. So it says, uh, 30 through 31, we get this jailer. He says, uh, so they runs to him. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Hold up. Along with everybody in your household. What I want to talk to you guys today is about eternal prisons. I want to talk to you about eternal prisons. And what do I mean by that? Is we place internal prisons within ourselves. We place these internal prisons within ourselves because the world is going to tell you so many things that are untrue. The world is going to tell you that, hey, you need to feel this way. You need to look this way. You need to buy these things. But guess what? It's, it's crazy to me that when we look at social media, it's funny because I'm on social media and I'm going to rag on it right now, is social media will set false expectations. It does. That's why I, br- I try to bring Jesus to TikTok and Instagram. So many people are like, social media is bad. It is, so bring Jesus to it. And I'm not saying everybody go download Instagram and TikTok and make videos, but I'm just saying. But here's the thing. Think about this. When you look at somebody's life on social media, do you think they're going to post the bad things about what's happening? No. They're going to post all the highlights. They're going to post everything that's good. 
They're going to post everything that is going so great. They're not going to show you all the nasty stuff that's happening. But here's what we do. We start setting our expectations in the wrong places. When this world sets a high expectation for you, I promise you, you're going to become disappointed. When you start thinking like, I'm going to start, I'm going to try to be like this person. I'm going to try to look like this person. I'm going to try to sound and talk like this person. You are going to be disappointed because God created you for a purpose and for a reason for your own identity. Does that make sense? He created you for your own purpose. When you become disappointed, we start to set our expectations in the wrong places. And a lot of times, I hear a lot of people start blaming God for the negative things that are happening in their life, but they never trusted God in the, in the first place. That would be like me being like, oh man, I failed. I'm going to blame you. Somebody's going to be like, oh, my tire popped. I'm going to blame you, Jared. So why do we do that within our own Christian faith? Something goes bad, or maybe, you, or maybe you're not a follower. Something goes bad, and you automatically want to blame God, but you never went with him. You never spent time in the word. It's an easy place to place your disappointment. Paul and Silas could have asked, well, if God, you are so good, well, then why'd you throw me in jail? Right? I would, I would have thought that if I was Paul and Silas and I'm sitting there, I would have been like, why, why did you put me in prison? I'm doing what you called me to do. Why am I sitting in prison? It's hard to grow your faith when you're setting your expectations in the wrong place. God, why can't I get over my addiction? Oh, hey, I haven't read you in a while. Oh, God, why can't I get over my anxiety? Oh, this has a lot of dust on it. Why am I having all these negative thoughts about myself? Why aren't you reading the word of God to build yourself up? I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, I promise. Just a little bit. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm not doing that. Put your expectations. Turn to your neighbor and say, expectations. Say, in... The right places. Okay, you don't have to repeat after this from here on out. I'm just, well, I might later on. I may tell you to. When you put your expectations in the right places, a negative circumstance in your life can still produce amazing purpose. A negative circumstance in your life can still produce amazing purpose. What do I mean by that? We put so much focus in the world that we end up putting our minds in a prison, in a trap, because we're so focused on what our friends and what the world tells us to look like that we're not focusing on God and, who, and our potential that God has called us to. We start to think that we have to conform to those around us, but God called each and every single one of us to be unique. You each have your own th thumbprint. You each have your own identity. I have an identical twin brother. We do not have the same thumbprint. People are like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, we don't. Yeah, I have an identical twin. Some of people, I'm sorry, I never told you that. All the darkness that you were feeling before can be lit up if you put your faith in Jesus. I'm not trying to sound hallmark. I'm not trying to sound cliche. I'm just being honest. If you put your faith in Jesus, that darkness can be lit up. And you have to look in the right place because you might have feeling, when you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you might have that feeling of not feeling worthy, but then you start feeling that self-worth. You might have that feeling of being anxious, but now you're excited. You might have that feeling of anger, who I always tell my students, sometimes I had an anger problem, but then you get an over, over sensation of joy in your life. 
You see, when you put your faith in the right places, when you put your expectations in the right places, amazing things happen. They really do. Amazing things happen. There was a time that I was in Chicago, and this was not intentional, that I wore a Chicago shirt for the story or for the intro. But there was a time that I was in Chicago on a missions trip. And what we would do is we'd go to the worst parts of Chicago, some of the worst streets that were actually in the United States. And I was going to show you a picture, and I'll be honest, I forgot. But we're on a missions trip in Chicago, and this is with the youth pastor that I mentored under. And what we would do is we do a lot of outreaches. We would do a lot of outreach. We would do, take a lot of opportunities to minister to neighborhoods. Now, keep in mind, sometimes we can get so sheltered. This was the first time some of the African-Americans down there seen white people in person. I'm not, I'm not playing. I am not playing. One kid walks up to me and he touches my bald head. I was like, bro, I'm not a genie. You're not going to rub it like a genie out of my head. And what ends up happening is he goes, I've never touched a white person before. Oh, no, I was, I was, I was honored. I was the first white person he was able to interact with. Well, I, I tell you that to show you the reality that we were walking into. And so we, what we would do is we'd go and we'd hand out shoes. We'd hand out food. Uh, we would hand out like all this cool stuff to neighborhoods. And what we would do is we'd bring in rappers and we'd actually set up a whole stage. We'd block off streets and we'd set up a whole stage and we'd bring in rappers who would rap Christian music, which is really fun. But he, he, I'm going to tell you a specific story. That was only part of it. So we, it's really hot. It's in, I think it was like June or something like that. And in Chicago in June on a, uh, the Qatar Street is really hot, you guys. It's like 110, 115. Our stage people were not there yet. So you got a group of, you know, white boys in the hood. And I'm like, they're all like, we got to go somewhere. We got to get something to drink. So we walk in. We walk into this convenience store. We're like, we're going to get something to drink. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at the candy that's on the top shelf. And this guy walks in. And he says, hey, you get out of my store. I'm like, I'm not hearing any of this. And I'm just looking at the candy. It was Pichos. I was like, those look good. And he says, hey, white boy, get out of my store. And I turn and I look and I realize he's talking to me. And he gets up to me. He gets up face to face to me. And I realize he's flying, flying uh, gang colors. Now, this dude was like this big. I was like, I can take you, but I'm not chancing this. He walks up to me and he goes, what do you bench, 315? He goes, what do you do? You work out? I just said, hey, you want me out of your store? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't walk out of the store, I'm going to mess you up. But if you walk out of the store, I got my homeboys out there and they're going to mess you up. You don't win. I'm going to be honest with you. I was pooping my pants at this time. I was scared. Seriously, I was scared. So he says this to me and I'm thinking security guards aren't doing nothing because they have security guards in their convenience stores. Security guards are doing nothing. Cashier behind the bulletproof glass, is doing nothing. I look at them, and they just went like this to me. These dudes are six, seven. And they just go like this. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, God, you know I trust in you, but I really need to trust and have faith in you right now. And as I walk out of this convenience store, his guys start walking up to me. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. This is not going to be fun give you what my full name is. My full name is Tate Allen Stevens. A cop pulls up. She walks, she, she pulls up, flashes her lights and they run. She walks up to me. She goes, honey, I got your back in her badge. 
She actually had her full name on her shirt for some reason. Her name is Tate Allen. And I'm like, oh Lord, I don't know if that is a sign, but I'm believing that's a sign. And she walks up and she says, I'm actually going to follow you around the rest of the weekend because some of the gang members were talking about you. And I was like, oh, thank you. I'm scared now. I'm like, now I want to go do something. Why do I tell you this story? Man, God is so good. I said a simple prayer and I'm like, God, just, it was really what the prayer was, was God protect me. I'm putting my trust in you. Protect me, please. Man, in that moment, I never took my faith off God. I was really trusting God in that moment. I already had my expectations in the right places. And I will encourage you. I'm not saying God could have never saved me if I wasn't Christian or anything in that moment, but I want to encourage you that in every area of your life, put your expectations and your faith in God. You never know how he's going to come through for you. We look at Paul and Silas and they could have placed their faith in the world, but they chose God. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there was moments where they were in prison that they were scared. I don't know. But because of their obedience in God, they stayed. But here, here's the kicker. Paul and Silas, even though they were chained up, even though they were in prison, they never needed to be set free. It was the jailer who needed to be set free. The jailer was the one who was living a life of an internal prison. But here's even the best part about this whole story. It wasn't just the jailer that was set free. It was his whole family. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And it doesn't say the jailer was just saved. It said the jailer and his whole family. Here's the thing. When you give your life to Jesus, you never know who's watching you. You never know how the Holy Spirit is going to affect those around you. All right, I might be going a little faster. What is faith? Everybody say faith. Faith, faith is placing total dependence upon God. Faith is placing total dependence upon God. Okay, cool. But how do we get there? How do we get to having this faith? It's important that we don't base our faith on the physical things of this world, on the physical things that God is doing in your life. We might say like, well, isn't that cool that God is blessing us with physical things? Absolutely. But if you are only basing and measuring your faith off the physical things that God is doing in your life, you're not realizing the relationship that he has for you. Because every time something falls short, when you pray and say, God, provide this, and you might provide it in a little bit of a different way, you're going to get your expectations crushed. So you never want to base your expectations or you never want to base your faith on the physical things God is doing. You want to base your faith on the relationship that God has for you. Say relationship. relationship. Why don't we base our faith on relationship? Every time you hang out with your friends, you're never expecting your friends to give you a gift, right? You're never expecting to say, oh, hey, Forrest, every time we hang out, you got $100 for me, bro. You hang out with your friends because you enjoy their presence. You enjoy being around them. You enjoy that relationship. So why do we sometimes put ourselves in that internal state where we expect so much from God? God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't. God doesn't owe us anything. This message is going to, speak a little bit different in this next little bit because I'm going to hit on some of the, the, the tough questions that we may have, but we never ask. So here's one. I don't believe in God because if he was real, why do terrible things happen in the world? 
Why do terrible things happen in the world if God is real? Have you guys heard of a thing called free will? Turn to your neighbor and say, we have free will. God gives us free will. Because if God forced us to love him, because that's the other thing, why wouldn't God just force us to do non-evil things? Because then there's no purpose for us. If everybody in this room was perfect, we wouldn't need to sit here right now. Only Jesus was perfect, so God gives us this thing called free will. Put it this way. God isn't going to force you to love him. God wants you to love him. For my wife, I would never want to force my wife to say, you have to marry me. I want her to marry me. I don't want to force that relationship. And God's that same way. God's not going to force the relationship upon you. He's going to give you that free will. He's going to give you that free will to make that decision to follow him. He's going to give you that decision to follow him. And I promise you, you will never regret. I've never heard somebody say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I regret it. I've never heard that in my life. Here's another one. I need you to think about something. Paul and Silas, their chains were broken. They didn't run. This isn't the only time in the Bible that we see people risking their life for their faith. If Paul and Silas didn't believe in the good news, if Paul and Silas didn't have the evidence that Jesus or that, or that God was there and God was with them, they would have ran right out those doors. They wouldn't have stayed. They wouldn't have stayed and said, hey, I might die. They would never have stayed within that prison. Well, isn't the Bible made up of man? Isn't the Bible just a fairy tale? So many people have written the Bible. Can't there be just countless errors in it? No. That's all I'm going to tell you now, and then we're going to move on. No, I'm just playing. When we look at this, I want you to look at it in two different ways. This is the living, breathing word of God, but it's also another thing that we never think of. It's a historical document. You might have never heard it that way. It's a historical document. Think about it this way. So many of us, how many of you believe that George Washington existed? How many of you have seen George Washington? Oh, come on, bro. In a picture, I can draw George Washington with a mad beard. But think about that. It is so easy for us to believe in the historical document of George Washington, but then we, start and we try to tear this thing apart. We try to tear this thing completely apart. There are documents outside of the Bible that have proven the existence of Jesus beyond this Bible. In fact, there is so much overwhelming evidence that it stacks miles high. And I'm not saying, oh, you're stacking the book of Acts, the books of Genesis or whatever. No, this is documents outside of the Bible that have been stacked so high and proven the existence of Jesus. Everybody say 1 Corinthians. That is not 1 Corinthians right there. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 4, we're going to say, or go through 6. It says, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, and then he was seen by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers. It says more than 500 of his followers. Can you read the red text right there? 
at one time. More than 500 followers at one time, most of whom are still alive through some have died. Why do I point that out to you? So many scientists have tried to disprove the Bible. But again and again and again, they can't. They can't disprove this scripture. And I'm going to get into why I talk about the 500. Did you know, scientifically and psychologically, it has actually been proven. You and you, you two sitting right here, you kind of hallucinate the same thing. Not more than one person can hallucinate the same exact thing. So it's funny to me that they'll say these 500 people are hallucinating, but scientifically that's been proven wrong. What do they do in court cases? When they're trying to try somebody, they get evidence by eyewitness accounts. There are more than 500 people that saw Jesus. Let that sink in a little bit. I don't know if we've ever recognized that before. More than 500 people, not one, more than 500. You guys read this book for yourself. My hope every time that I share the gospel with somebody, that I share my faith with somebody, is not for me just to say, hey, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. You can listen to me all you want, but you need to read the word for yourself. And I promise you, if you truly open up your heart and you read this word, God is going to reveal himself. Paul and Silas knew that what they were putting their life on the line for. And Jesus, man, Jesus gives you the evidence. Jesus gives you the evidence of his, his existence. Jesus is trying to teach you how to live a righteous life. But yet some of us can read the word of God and just throw it aside. And that honestly just breaks my heart. I've heard so many people say, I'm a good person though. I'm a good person. Just because you're a good person doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I know a lot of good people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Why well, donated to the children's hospital? That's fantastic. Doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Oh, I, I helped clean up the community. I did so many good things. Fantastic. Doesn't get you to heaven. Oh, I donate. I tithes to the church. Fantastic. Still not going to get you to heaven. It's still not going to get you to heaven. But I believe in Jesus, Pastor Tate. Awesome. You can believe in him. Or do you have a relationship with him? There's a key difference. I know so many people who say, oh, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, but they don't have a relationship. They don't follow his word. They don't pray. They don't worship. It's not our righteous acts that make us righteous before God. Think about that. It's not our righteous acts that make us righteous before God. It is by grace I'm going to say that again. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace, not your works. It is by grace that you have been saved. The word of God is truly everywhere, especially for the, us in the United States. We can go to the library. We can go to church and they'll typically, typically give you a Bible. How many of you have a phone in here? How many of you have a smartphone? There you go, girl. You can download the Bible right on your phone. It is everywhere. You can even Google how to get saved. Now I'm going to give you another verse. Romans 10, 9. 
If you can throw it up on the screen, please. Romans 10, 9 says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I am so glad I went back to church. I'm not telling you to follow religion. I'm telling you to follow Jesus. So what's the first step we have to do to do this? We have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And as you are listening to this and you are thinking, man, I'm, I, I want to think I want to do that tonight. I want you to not be ashamed to be able to pray this in your heart, to be able to receive this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you say, where you lead, I will follow. When you ask, I will do it. And you are going to see one of the biggest changes in your life. I want you, Jesus, to be that change in my life. I want to follow you. What do we do after this? After we say that, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus, that raised him from the dead. That is saying, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You were resurrected, and when you believe, you will see the greatest miracle that is ever going to happen in your life, and that is your transformation. You can see people walk again. You can see somebody walk on water if Jesus really wants that to happen. But the greatest miracle is for your heart to be transformed for Jesus. The greatest miracle. Paul and Silas never needed to be set free. They knew where they needed to be. That jailer, he needed to be set free along with his family. And some of us, we need to be freed from those internal prisons in our life. Some of us have struggles, negative thoughts, self-image issues. Man, I get that I was there. There was one point in my life where I would never eat in front of anybody. I got so skinny that my friends started to get concerned, but I had a self-image issue. I promise you, God sent Jesus to die on the cross because you are perfect the way that you are. You don't need to be like all these people on TikTok and Instagram. I believe you can be inspired, but don't put your identity in them. But I'm here to tell you that if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. If you just say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again and I want to follow you, done. That's it. That's all you need to do. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And your life will be made new. I have a wife and kids. Love them to death. Jesus was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. And guess what? My kids know that and my wife know that because they believe in the same thing. You can get the word of God everywhere. And no matter how many times I tell you that confess with your mouth, 
No matter how many times you can hear the word salvation, you can be the only one that can make that decision for God to save you. And I'm going to give you one more verse. And that is Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is nobody in here that is not worthy enough. There is nobody in here that has done so much bad that they can never come back from it. God just says, confess. Confess with your mouth and you will be saved. Jesus wants that relationship with you. I don't care what your friends say. I don't care if your friends think, oh, you're a Bible thumper. You're kind of lame. Who cares? Jesus wants that relationship with you. And I don't want to call anybody out specifically tonight, but I'm going to have a time where we call up the youth pastors, the leaders, and every student up here. And you can start honestly just moving right now. I want you to all come up here and just take some time in prayer as we are singing, as we are just worshiping. If that is you, if even some of you are thinking like, oh man, they're kind of looking around like, what do I do if, if, I, if I raise my hand? What do I do if I pray out loud? Don't be ashamed of the gospel because we're all here to celebrate. We're all here and we're not going to look at you and go, oh, you weirdo. We're going to look at you in celebration because Jesus is moving. And I believe that God is moving in here. So if we could have every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to do a salvation prayer. And then we'll go into some time of worship. And I just want you to continue to pray. And I want, if you don't mind, even if you've said this prayer, I want everybody to pray out loud. Can we do that today? All right, dear Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I thank you for sending your son to die on that cross. I believe that Jesus was risen from the dead to give us new life. From this day forward, I give my life to you. I repent of my sins and I live for you. Lord Jesus, I give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you raise your hand if you prayed that? And can we just celebrate? Look at this. This is truly amazing. Look at this. This is amazing. God is so good. God is so good. Let's pray, you guys. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. But remember, it doesn't end here. Stay connected with us on social media, share your thoughts, and continue the conversation.